This episode of the Voices of Value podcast is sponsored by CGS Fitness, a health and wellness company owned and operated by the host of this podcast, Kyla Stutzer. Kyla Stutzer helps busy professionals lose weight, improve their physical and mental energy without giving up their favorite foods by using his metabolic optimization protocol. If you're interested in coaching with CGS Fitness, whether online or in person, make sure you shoot an email to Coach Stutzer at Coach S T U T Z E R at gmail.com saying, I want to get healthy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Voices of Value podcast. We'll be back next time. Three, two, and one. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Good morning, wherever you are in the world. It is your boy back at it again with another episode of Voices of Value. Yes, all we do is continuously and consistently bring on valuable voices, interesting individuals from interesting backgrounds from all over the world. And I hope from the episode you started listening to this podcast and now that you've been enjoying it, and uh, with that being said, we're back at it again with another guest. Ariel, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. And did I say your name correctly? Yes. Thank you so much for having me here, Collis. I'm really appreciative. And a little bit about my background. Um, Ariel, I'm based out in Tampa, Florida. I work full-time as a data scientist, but also have a side hustle called Analytics Ariel, where I bridge the gap between real estate and technology. For fun, I love being outdoors and very passionate about sports as well. I love it. I love it. And, you know, for reference, ladies and gentlemen, I found um, Ariel through the Bigger Pockets platform. So if you're not familiar with the Bigger Pockets platform, not only do they have an amazing podcast, but they also have amazing forums, blogs, just general, you know, in general, to, to explain it in broad terms, really valuable information on real estate. And they also have figured out a way to create a community on their, on their platform where you can just connect with people in the real estate industry from all over the world, definitely all over America. And so sometimes I hop on there and, you know, go look at what people are doing in the world of real estate, just because it's something I'm interested in. Um, and I found Ariel's profile and saw some things she commented and saw that she's a bridging the gap, like you just said, between data and real estate. And I thought that was interesting and something to talk about on the show today. So um, we'll jump into that a little bit later. But Ariel, let's talk about your early life, you know, idols, uh, dreams, interests. When you were like five, six, seven years old, who did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, first, I didn't always live in sunny Florida. I was in New Jersey. And growing up in New Jersey, I was a big uh, sports fan. I could get into how I got into that, but A-Rod was one of my biggest uh, um, mentors or someone that I aspired to look up to. I wasn't looking to go into a career of baseball, but being someone with a Dominican background as well and seeing him rise up within society as well as within his own profession was something that I really admired. I love it. And I kind of have a side question that uh, might take us on a side quest, but what do you know about the um, the connection between the DR and like the East Coast, like New York, New Jersey, like we see such a large population of um, Dominicans in that part of the country. Like, what do you think is the 
and, and maybe you know some crazy history, maybe you don't, but like, what's the what's the tie there, at least from your perspective? Yeah, not sure how it originated, but there is a heavy population, especially in Washington Heights in New York, where a lot of my family had migrated. And I heard some history that back in the day when a lot of Dominicans were coming over, that some of the landlords who were not Hispanic were either like burning some of the buildings or just like not okay with Hispanics coming in. And um, that was like a barrier of like Hispanics going into areas that people did not want to live in. And they made their mark and it's been a big uh, space within New York and as well as New Jersey today. And it's a, it's a, it's a cultural, it's a cultural, like, I don't know what word to use mainstay. Like when people go to New York, they're like, oh, we got to go to Washington Heights. We got to yeah. go, we got to go get us some Dominican food. We got to find right. some Dominican music booming on the side of the road while we're walking by at 12 a.m. Like it's a vibe. I have a lot of family in New York City the past nice. 20 years. So I've, my summers have been spent out there a lot. So I did have <laughs> to ask about that, uh, that tie there. But um, so A-Rod, baseball, sports, did you participate in any, you know, athletic activities when you were a kid and growing up? Was there a specific sport that you were really passionate about um, playing, whether it was with siblings, if you have any, or, um, you know, with friends in the neighborhood? Yeah, so actually a bit of a background is that um, my parents growing up were not into American sports at all. Like, they had no idea like how these sports were played, how popular they were, but I was given a PlayStation at some point in life. And when I would go to say Toys R Us, the cheapest games are always sports games. And the reason is if it's outdated like a year or two ago, no one wants to play with players from old teams. So I'd ask my mom, oh, can I like get that game? Cause it's the cheapest. She said, sure. And that's how I learned football, basketball, baseball. From there, I got to play some rec sports a little bit later than most kids did. Um, but one of my favorite things that I got to do kind of sports related is be a part of a step team when I was in high school. I was a co-captain, so like stomp the yard using just hands and yes. feet, and that was yes. a fun time. I love it. I love it. And you just brought back some memories of my childhood and also made a point that I never caught on to until today, um, which is that I never was able to play any games besides sports games with my family, specifically because they just weren't for the violent games or anything that quote unquote promoted, um, you know, something they didn't want in real life. So I couldn't play like race games because they said it promoted bad driving. So it's like, you know, hey, you know, every parent has their own way, but yeah, um, of course. But uh, with with the sports games, my dad would always buy me the year or like last year's game. Right. And until I was like 13 or 14, I didn't really even start asking for the New Year's game. I only wanted the New Year's game because you get in high school and kids start making fun of you if you didn't have the updated. <laughs> um, but I, I didn't even make the connection, but that makes sense. It's a lot cheaper because nobody wants to play those games anymore. Everyone's onto the new one. Meanwhile, I'm playing 2010 when it's 2011. So that's yeah. funny. You made that connection for me. Um, yeah. But uh, did you grow up with any siblings or cousins? Are you, are you an only child? Are you, are you the oldest child? What's the setup in terms of your family life? Yeah. So family life growing up, uh, both my parents, my mom, Dominican, dad, Ecuadorian, both immigrants and super hardworking. Uh, they both had city jobs, would be in and out into New York City from New Jersey and had really hard work ethic which I learned up front. Um, also had an older sister who was always my role model. And one thing that I always took from my childhood is that my mom always stated, don't uh, just buy things because you want them or try to acquire things because you want them, but 
look for things only because you need them. So growing up, I didn't have that huge 90s snack cabinet of just like endless snacks. I would go to my friends and get the same snacks, uh, but you would go to our household and it would look like maybe 10 years outdated. And I always wondered why as I was in the childhood and seeing friends who had more and more lavish or bigger things. But uh, that principle really helped me through life to live a minimalistic life and be able to save money for my future which is really helpful again, which we'll dive into a little bit later, but which, which is really helpful in real estate, you know, especially when you yes. first want to get started. Like I think my biggest challenge, especially, um, you know, with I've, I've have had spurts where I'm like super into learning about real estate and I'm like, and you get all passionate about it and you're like, yeah, next year I'm going <laughs> to utilize the FHA loan to get my first house. I'm going to use three and a half, you know, whenever we're, yeah. I'm, I'm a young in my twenties and stuff. So, you know, I'm <laughs> in my teenagers and I'm 25 now. So early twenties, like I'm all in this mindset of I'm going to do this and do that. But then I'm like, ah, shit, I just spent $10,000 on something else. <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? Or I went and put $10,000 into some other passion or something else. And then next thing you know, I'm like, oh, wait, how am I going to do this again? And like, use other people's money. I'm like, I don't have time. <laughs> right. And sometimes the confidence too. I get scared to use other people's Com money. <laughs> yeah, the confidence is real. So um, so you mentioned uh, Father Ecuadorian, Mom Dominican. What are some... Um, maybe some similarities and some differences between the culture that you've noticed between, um, you know, your father's Ecuadorian background and your mother's Dominican background. Yes, the language might be common, but they are different countries, different areas of the world at the end of the day. So what are some similarities and some differences you saw, maybe some things you pulled from each of their individual cultures growing up? Yeah, great question. I think what I pulled may not have been particular just from their ethnic backgrounds, but where they landed when they came to America. So my mom went to Washington Heights, predominantly Dominican there. So you see people that look like you, whereas my dad grew up in the Bronx in an area where he was one of the only or very few Hispanic kids. Um, so in that sense, my mom had a lot more culture to her and we would see more family. I feel like I was more embraced into or had more uh, yeah, time into that family. Whereas the Ecuadorian side, um, I always felt a little bit like I want to know more. I want to know more about the food that's that's eaten in those countries and how people interact with each other. So I didn't really get that exposure until maybe a little bit later in life as I met some other like Ecuadorian friends um, that even grew up in that country. And I was able to be exposed uh, to how they were brought up. I love it. I love it. So talk about, you know, on the topic of being brought up, you're 15, 16, 17. Talk about your high school years. Um, I know you said you're not originally from Tampa and I grew up in Jersey. So how old were you? Did you stay in Jersey all the way through high school? Talk about that. And uh, what were you thinking about when you were in high school? Were you like, I'm going to go into sports and be a reporter on A-Rod? Or were you thinking <laughs> about data and, and you were like, I really just am obsessed with math and data? Like what was... What was that like during your 15 to 18, you know, time period of life? Yeah, I wish it was that straightforward where I had this focus of, I want to code, I want to work with data, but realistically I was, you know, living in New Jersey and New York city was 50 miles away. A lot of people commuted there and New York city happens to be the biggest financial hub of the whole world. So initially my thought was, let me go into business. Um, I know business has to do with math a bit. There's going to be a lot of jobs when I come out of college. 
So that was my main focus into how I first um, decided on a career, but I did later pivot, uh, of course, since I now am a data scientist. I love it. So where'd you, uh, did you end up going to college? And if so, where'd you go? Yeah, I went to Rutgers University. So that's a big school. So you stayed like, in that area? Yeah, about like 30,000 people stayed in the area. It was a big shift because I grew up in a town where when I graduated, I was like one out of six Hispanic kids. Wow. So now going to Rutgers, it's like, when I walk into a place, people aren't curious, like, oh, wow, this person looks different. Like, doesn't matter because I'm just one of the people in the sea. Uh, Rutgers is super diverse. And I was able to join a business fraternity while I was there. And that really helped me because I was able to network with others who were like-minded. So I always thought that you have to gravitate towards people that looked like you, like that's what you have to do, but not necessarily. You could look for people who like the same hobbies or have same goals as you. And through that business fraternity, it was boys and girls. And I learned how to create a resume, how to interview for a job, and ultimately helped me to get an internship and be confident um, in what I was doing. What was that adjustment like, though? You know, I've spoken to a lot of different people who have had this um, dynamic where they've had two completely different experiences. So for some kids, they maybe grow up in the inner city and until they were 10 years old, went to a school that it was predominantly people who looked like them, predominantly people who understood the culture they were coming from. And then maybe at 11, their parents moved them into the suburbs to live with their aunt to get a better educational system. And all of a sudden they're going to school with nobody that looks like them. And so they've had to talk about that adjustment. For you, when you got to college, when you got to Rutgers, what was the adjustment like no longer being quote unquote, maybe perceived as the outcast. Maybe you didn't feel that way in high school or maybe you did, but what was it like integrating into a system where there were thousands of people who were like you? Right, that's a great question. So as I touched on a little bit earlier is that my sister, I have an older sister, she's five years older and she's been my role model uh, throughout my whole life. Someone who was always confident and just a natural people's person, uh, which is why she's in the healthcare industry today. And in high school, as I was trying to struggle through this image, you know, I'm not part of the families who have their moms working from, or moms not working. So stay at home moms because their parents make a lot of money. They have these big houses. I don't fit into that group. But when I go to say Washington Heights, I also can't talk Spanglish and I can't uh, <laughs> intermingle with certain areas. So in that sense, I'm whitewashed. So where do I fit in? But seeing my sister and how she was able to attain uh, and now like lifelong friends just by her personality, I realized, you know what, I am going to see myself in situations where I'm going to be the only one in a room and I'm just going to have to be okay with that. Um, just like say Jackie Robinson, he was probably the only one that looked like him when he was in the Dodgers and he was able to go through with it and have a whole pathway for others. So Getting back to your question, I think I was able to deal with a lot of that towards the end of high school by seeing my role model of my sister, where when I went to college, it wasn't as much of a culture shock. I love it. I love it. And sorry to you and to the audience, this is going to be a major quick shift. But I just want to shout out Jay-Z because you said Jackie Robinson. It reminded me of one of my favorite bars. Although we do not promote violence or anything <laughs> negative. Jay-Z once said, I jack, I rob, I sin. Oh, man, I'm Jackie Robinson. 
<laughs> and I was like, wow, that's amazing. So sorry. Apologies for that. I just had, I had to Perfect say. Perfect segue. Um, so, you know, let's talk about the pivot. You know, you, you started um, at Rutgers with business in mind. Yeah. Um, you went to a business fraternity and you were thankful for that experience. But talk about the pivot or maybe the, you know, how, how data analytics, how coding and business like somehow came together for you during that time period? What happened? Yeah. So in college, my main thing was to get a career. Uh, so I was really into interviewing at the career center, landed a job out of high, out of college. And as I started, I was at Bloomberg, one of the colleagues, she was teaching a VBA class. I was like, what is VBA? But you know what? Get me one hour outside of work. I'll just go and, and take this class. So I learned VBA is basically how to code in Excel, how to automate things in an Excel file. And as I was just learning about the process, I realized, wow, like this process that I used to do daily manually in an Excel spreadsheet that took me a half hour, I can automate with just nine lines of code and it's done in two seconds. Like this is mind blowing. So after that, I really wanted to pursue a career where I could learn how to code and learn how to automate things and help business users. So that's where I shifted over to um, Deutsche Bank, where I was a tech business analyst. And my interview process was really funny for that one because I show up in New York City. It's possibly my first New York City job, huge building. It's off of Wall Street. And I have my resume clutched in my hand, starting to get like sweaty palms, get to the front. And I say, hi, I'm here for 1 p.m. interview. Then the guy comes down who could potentially be my manager. And I think he's going to you know, take me up the elevators and we're going to sit in a room. He says, no, we're going to go get coffee down the street. So he was trying to throw me off my guard and he was asking me questions along the way. So I'm here like New York City is a bunch of people walking. So I'm trying to like dodge a pothole, dodge someone coming at me while answering interview questions. Um, but with a lot of preparation, it went really well. And that's what really started my career in the tech space. I love that. I love that. And I hope that any leaders in business right now, or any uh, founders listen to that and utilize that uh, interview skill. I think that's a great tactic. So shout out to that gentleman. Yes. <laughs> um, so I want to ask you about uh, something that's going on in the world right now, which is or a new technology that has entered into the world right now that a lot of people are talking about. Are you familiar with uh, ChatGPT? Yes, that, that, I am. Okay, so let's talk about that shortly. Um, if you're fairly familiar with it, what do you think, like what implications does that have on um, reverse? What are you excited about in terms of that type of technology? So I've seen a lot of people utilizing that to edit their code or to mess around with, uh, you know, utilizing that AI software to make their code better or to do something that they don't know how to do or to clean it up. Like, what are some things you're excited about with, with AI and, and as it continues to integrate itself into society and people start to understand how to use it? What's, what are some use cases you might see for that? Or are you kind of like, I don't like it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm super excited. I think being able to have information at your fingertips makes you so powerful. And ChatGPT is one of those uh, softwares that does that. So it uses artificial intelligence as basically a dialogue tool. Um, similar to how you use Alexa, and you'll say, hey, 
uh, I have one next to me. So, hey, A, um, what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? And it'll give you an answer. But what if you can ask more interesting questions? Like, why is the weather like this in Florida, for example? Um, how could this harm my house? Uh, what should I prepare for ahead of time? Well, that would be a lot more powerful. And you could go on Google and search, say, how do I prepare for a hurricane? There'll be 15 different articles. It's amazing how much information we have, but we have so much noise. And sometimes we just need the answer right away, which is where technologies like chat GTP helps. And like you mentioned, it not only helps with answering questions, but also can write up code on its own. So someone who wants to get into coding or even just wants something quick to, like I said earlier, how it helped me automate an Excel file, um, you can ask GTP a question and possibly get the answer for that. But as you mentioned, that with advantages, there are always some things you have to be worrisome about. And in the space of technology and especially AI, one of the biggest fears that we have at times is bias. So what if we're training our models uh, with only data, say from, I don't know, like a European country, a European mindset, and we're not bringing in articles into this model that maybe doesn't give a voice for people like us. So people start to see a standard of an answer to a question, but it's not really representative to the whole. So that's one of the implications um, that AI could face. Yeah, I did something funny. I don't know if it was good or not, but either way, I used a ChatGPT and I asked it to um, rewrite this copy, but in the voice of a 20-year-old Black kid. And, <laughs> and it was very interesting how the, inf the, the, the way it changed its style of wording was... I wouldn't say it was inaccurate, but it also wasn't accurate, but it was also like funny. It's like one of those things where it's like, oh, this is a little awkward. You know what I'm saying? Like imagine, imagine a kid like tries to like hangs a kid not from the culture. Let me just say it that way. Um, tries to integrate himself into a culture and he's like a beginner and he's like learning the words and he's like, yo, man, like, <laughs> just like yeah, it was just cracking me up because that's how that that's the vibes that chat GBT gave me. But mm -hmm. it, it, it is interesting in regards to AI and bias. Um, uh, what I would recommend for people out there listening to this podcast, and I'll tag it in the description is I believe her name is Ruha Benjamin. She's a professor at one of the I don't want to say Harvard Anyways, one of the uh, Ivy League schools, if I'm correct, and she does a lot of talks, and I believe she just released a book on internet, AI, um, facial recognition, all things in that world, and the biases they have towards, you know, Black and Brown communities and how that can be oh, wow. harmful. So um, if I'm incorrect about that, I totally apologize. I'll put that in the description, but I think that's correct. And I'll, I'll tag that information in the description. I feel like that's an interesting topic for some people to do some research on. So um, you're in business school. You, you then kind of pivot towards data and code. Where did the pivot, or let me not say pivot, where did the interest, because you're still in data analytics, where did the interest in terms of bridging uh, data and real estate come into the picture? And more specifically, uh, where did the exposure to real estate or your interest in real estate come from? And when did that start? Great question. So as I was commuting in and out of New York City, uh, still living at my parents at a period of time, it was about like two hours each way. And it took up a lot of my day. So we waking up at 445, 
jumping on the bus at 5.15, getting to the city at 6.30, taking a quick gym class, work, get back home at seven, just do it all over again. I'm on the hamster wheel. And as I was doing it, it just, I would look at everyone on the bus next to me, people in their fifties, um, about to retire still, but so sad. Like it looked like they had the life sucked out of them. And I thought this just can't be my future. Like I didn't work so hard just to be a cog in the wheel. And that's when I decided what else can I do to possibly make money on the side? At least I looked up uh, how to you know trade in the stock market, which I have a full-time job, not going to be a day trader, then how to sell products on Amazon, which is its whole other beast. And then lastly, real estate. And this one was consistent throughout people that I was listening to that were successful. Um, even people back in like the early 1900s, how they've built wealth for their families was through real estate. So I just ingrained myself for one full year. I told myself, give you one year to learn about real estate, but then you have to commit and actually buy something. So at that one year mark, I was looking to buy something and I wanted to evaluate these properties on my own. Like what's a good deal and what's a bad deal. So I see online, there's a ton of data, but it's not structured. It's all over the place. You don't even know like how to use it properly. So I thought, Hey, if I could start some sort of channel or community where I bridge this gap and show people, do you want to understand crime rates in your area or rent values and if a, a, a property is going to cash flow or not? Uh, these are the tools and data that you need for that. Um, that's how Analytics Ariel began. I love it. And, you know, I went through your YouTube channel, watched some videos. You do a great job. First off with the content creation, second off with explaining effectively for people who may not have any idea about either industry. So beginners coming in, I, do, I think you do a great job kind of talking through it in simple terms. And then I've also went through the comment sections and saw a lot of people found it also valuable and really have been enjoying it. So um, how's that experience been in terms of, you know, getting into content creation, learning how to create banners, <laughs> learning, learning how to make it look you know, uh, from a brand perspective, look welcoming and inviting and, wow. like, and, and, you know, cause I could post a video, talk about real estate all like this <laughs> and, and, and somebody might be like, this person doesn't look professional. And I think your content looks really good. Um, so what, what was that like? Were you searching blogs? Were you, were you, uh, watching YouTube videos about how to create a YouTube channel? What, what was that looking like for you? Yeah, so not only re learning real estate, but actually learning about content creating was its whole other beast. And one of the biggest inspirations that I've had is Pat Flynn. Uh, he mm, runs yep. a podcast, yep. Smart Passive Income, and he has a lot of information on how to start an online business, what tools do you need, what software, um, how to engage customers or people viewing your content. And it was a journey at first because editing code videos is a pain. <laughs> I can't just hand it off to like a company because most people wouldn't know how to edit uh, a coding video and where to zoom in, where to zoom out, et cetera. Uh, so that was all a learning process. And I did actually hire a VA um, at the end of last year. So someone out in the Philippines to help me with thumbnails and just making the whole like uh, content look a lot prettier because end of day, I do still work a full-time job. So I need to make sure that those hours that I'm using for the side hustle are used um, as efficiently as possible. I love it. I love it. And so 
you know, just a baseline that we don't have to dive too deep into it. So I know you did a lot of research and, and you made the decision to go all in on real estate as your uh, pathway to wealth. So for those individuals out there who are listening right now and either don't know anything about real estate or they just haven't heard your voice speak on it, um, what would you say is the, you know, five-step process to building wealth in real estate or three-step, you can do whatever step yeah. you want. But in general, just kind of breaking down that foundational process for a newbie or somebody who's just hearing you for the first time. Great. So first you need to set your why. Why do you want to do this? Because real estate, it's everything is documented, yet it's still going to be a process that will eat away at you at times. You may have a call from a tenant that you weren't expecting. And if you don't really have a good why behind you, you're not going to uh, end up being successful because you're stopping your tracks. So my why is that I want to be a fully present family member, par uh, parent in the future. And in order to do so, I want to have some side income where if I need to step away from work for a period of time, I can, and I could support my family. Um, so first setting your why. Second, a strategy. So my strategy was buy and hold real estate. And I thought, okay, if I were to need to rely on real estate as an income, I would probably want to have about $10,000 in passive income per month. So how many properties does that equate to? Like, where do I start from there? So from there, I thought, all right, if each property, say, I have a property that the mortgage is $2,000 after all expenses and someone's paying me $2,500 a month. Well, that means I'm making $500 per month and that would be $500 cash flow. So I would need 20 properties in total to meet my goal. So that is now, now I have a number to the actual goal that I have. And now I pick a strategy. So my strategy is to hold on to these properties and I use the live then rent. So I live in a property for one year, which is a requirement, and then I rent it out to someone. And you may think, well, why even live in it? Why don't you just have it as an investment property to begin with? Well, for an investment property, you have to put down 20% at least, which is a lot of money. So say a house in New Jersey, that's $400,000. We're talking possibly 80K, not even including closing costs. That is a big, big barrier for a lot of people especially for minorities who may not have family members that have flush cash or like uh, can take out a HELOC for them or whichever. But if you live in the property, you can put as little as 3.5% down, which is outstanding. I'm talking so much less money, yet you're still acquiring the property and you could build wealth through it. Now, I thought that this whole process was, okay, I have the amount of money I want to make per month, amount of properties I need to have and my strategy of how I'm going to do so. That's the simple way. But once you start getting properties, rents go up. So your cash flow goes up, then your property value goes up, especially if you're choosing really good areas, which I could detail more later. Um, and now you can tap into that money. So instead of having to save, save, save for the next property, you could leverage property number one to buy, say, property number five. And that's really the power of real estate. I love it. I love it. I love it. And, and how about you go ahead and dive into that? How were you able to, or what process did you use to kind of discover what areas you were going to invest in or what areas you were going to look to buy in? Um, you can, you can 
answer broad scale or you can answer specifically on uh, you know Florida or Jersey, but go ahead. Sure. So there are two things most real estate investors look for. Appreciation, meaning that the house value is going to go up. And this happens a lot on the coastal areas like New York City, um, maybe San Francisco, or they look for cash flow, meaning that you're going to make a lot more income than your expenses are. Popular cities for this are Detroit, Michigan. So usually it's hard to get both, but you can find a good middle ground, which I find a sweet spot of looking for areas that have some cash flow, but they're up and coming, meaning that you know there might be some uh, sketchy areas still. It may be like uh, very hipster at the moment, but it's up and coming to be a good area. And how do you find if it's up and coming? Well, one, you wanna see rising population. People are moving to the area. Uh, second, you want to see, well, I like to see transportation. So does the area have a bus system, a train of some sort, because people will you know, flock to that area to be able to get to where they want. So using a specific example, my first property was in South Amboy, New Jersey. And it's basically the armpit of New Jersey. Um, it's like right in that central part. And you could take a train straight into New York City. I was reading news articles of transportation coming soon to Jersey, and one of them said a ferry. Uh, they were going to reenact a ferry that was active only for like 9-11 um, to have a new service for a 40-minute uh, ferry ride straight into New York City from South Amboy. So I thought, this is up and coming. This is, this is great. Next, you want to look at employment. Is there diverse employment? Uh, Detroit, one of the reasons why it collapsed back in 08, 09 or so was because it was so focused on the auto industry. So when that collapsed, the whole economy collapsed. You want to make sure it doesn't happen. Uh, so there's a couple more factors, but ultimately, if you could find some a place that's up and coming, new businesses are coming, maybe new transportation, uh, there's limited land, <clears throat> excuse me, so there's limited amount of houses, then that could really help you to get a property early on that's going to appreciate a lot more in the future. I love it. I love it. And, you know, being there is a big focus on, you know, the upliftment, the empowerment of minorities when it comes to this podcast. What do you think, you know, or not what, why do you think minorities should get involved in real estate? Like why, why should more minorities get involved in their real estate investing process? I mean, I could give an easy answer to that, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, for generational wealth. So if you see, you know, people in society where parents are able to fully pay for their weddings or give them deposits for this and that, I mean, a lot of it is because they pulled money out of their houses um, because their houses have increased in value. And in order... <laughs> That's sorry. Literally, I was just thinking. I'm not to put too much information out there, but basically, yeah. I was thinking about a specific individual, and there was a thirty thousand dollar wedding, and I just remembered that that person told me her parents pulled out, yeah, uh, uh, some money from their house, and I was like, oh shit, she did tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so sorry, I didn't. I didn't put that together until right now. Keep going. Sorry. But yeah, these are real world examples that we see. Maybe like uh, Ben down the street who just remodeled his full kitchen has a new pool. Like we think, oh man, Ben must be rich. No, he probably pulled money from his house or maybe his, his family, someone, you know, was deceased, had a house, you know, he now sold the property, took all the funds. 
So these are all things that are generational. And for us as minorities to build generational wealth, uh, real estate is one of the key factors to get us there. I love it. I love it. And so there's an 18-year-old listening to this right now. They have zero money in their bank account. They don't want to go to college, but they do have a job and they just spend a lot. That's why they got zero, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> um, uh, what should they do if they want to get involved in real estate? They want to start you know, getting involved in real estate, learning about real estate. They want to invest within the next two to three years. Mm-hmm. Where would you start if you were 18, zero dollars, just got a new job, not going to college? What would you do? Yep. First thing I would look into is wholesaling, which is another branch in real estate. This is where you're the middle person. You find someone who needs to sell their house for a certain reason. Maybe they got through a divorce. Um, maybe they're behind in taxes. And then you find an investor and you put these two people together and you could make $5,000, never even owning the property, but just putting this contract together. So it's a quick way to make uh, money and to get into real estate. Top people in the space are Pace Morby and Jerry Norton. Both have YouTube channels and I think respective podcasts too. So I would say, listen to each of those. Um, And then, I mean, if you're 18 and willing to go to maybe serve our country, uh, there are loans, VA loans, where you could put 0% down. Uh, So that's also a viable option. And then Bank of America is doing a program. I think it might've already been initiated where certain areas in the country, um, if you're a minority, and they don't even check like your credit score or don't even ask for a certain down payment and they'll um, fund you, give you a loan for a property. So if you're willing to move to a different area, it doesn't have to be forever, um, but at least like a year, two years, acquire that first property through the special loan in a you know up and coming city, then that could be a viable way to get into real estate. I love it. Thank you for sharing. We're going to definitely uh, clip that and put that on IG because y'all folks need to get out there and get active. <laughs> Me too, though. Me too, ladies and gentlemen. Me too. Um, all right. So I want to kind of, you know, dive deep on your big, hairy, crazy dreams and goals. Like, what do you, you know, foresee for yourself over the next 10 to 15 years? And how do you plan to execute on those goals or those big visions that you have? Yeah, so I want to, I guess there's different sectors. So when it comes into real estate, um, by 40, I want to have 100 units. And how I'm going to get there, um, listening to or having mentors, which is important. Matt Hawkins, he's a real estate investor who has 120 units, and he was a high school dropout. Um, So he really shows also in his uh, channel, which is the Lumberjack Landlord, how you're able to get from zero to 100. It's amazing. So plan to rely on mentors for advice as well, leverage some of the properties that I currently have some of the cash to maybe either go into, uh, I don't want to get too technical, but there's ways with tax codes, how you can sell a house, say a single family home and go to like a four unit. So I want to get out of single families, go towards bigger units and maybe OPM, like you mentioned, other people's money. We'll, we'll see. Uh, when it comes to career-wise, I want to continue growing in my career. Uh, don't think I'm ready yet to set sail and just rely on passive income. I do gain a lot of information from working with really smart colleagues and working with latest technologies. And then for analytics Ariel, I would hope uh, the platform has even more people and also not just me speaking, 
but others who are deep into real estate and data and be able to feature them uh, throughout the channel. I love it. I love it. Look, I'm not telling you how to use uh, your content platform at all, but if I happen to see a video of you breaking down how people in real estate can leverage ChatGPT, I would watch it and I would share it. Um, <laughs> I will watch and share your other content as well. Don't worry. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but um, what's it called? So let's see. Man, I, I, I love having these conversations because you get to learn about new people from new parts of the world and it's like the first time connecting with them so it's like there's not so many opportunities outside of podcasting or interviews where you can sit down with somebody you've never met before and dive deep on their goals dive deep on their past dive deep on the information they have and and let them you know share with your platform and with me actually that's the selfish part of this is i get to learn as well so um before i move on to our next question i just want to say thank you for again making time to hop on the show today um answer these questions and, and share a little bit about your journey with us so thank you of course. um so if your industry didn't exist and what i mean by your industry specifically is i want to talk about data analytics um um, specifically, so your day job. Um, if your industry didn't exist, what do you think you'd be doing for a living right now at this time of life? I probably would have stuck with just business, maybe do financial planning or business analysts of some sort, but I definitely wouldn't have branched into like the whole side hustle area. Um, and I don't think I would have had as big of an advantage because I am the only usual Hispanic data scientist in a room. And I think that has let me stand out a lot because um, I'm able to bring a different perspective. So if I were to just have done maybe a more uh, usual road path, I may not have seen as much success. And with some of the things you just said there, it brought something to mind. You know, I think it's safe to say that both in your day job and then also with real estate and the side hustles that, you know, the majority of people in the room or the majority of people in these two industries probably don't look like you and probably, you know, I'm sure it's growing, but probably aren't women. So how has that been for you? Has there been any obstacles you've had to overcome in terms of power dynamics or in terms of just other things that people have to go through in, in those type of situations? And, you know, if not all good, but if so, how have you overcome some of those obstacles? Yeah, I think not too much, but it's because I got some really great training when I was working in the city. Um, being from a Hispanic household, it's always like kind of whatever the father says goes. So early in my career, I was so used to like be told what to do and then you just follow it. But in the space of working in private companies, you need to have a voice, you need to be creative, you need to say, no, this shouldn't be the right path. And by learning that whole process of uh, how to speak and how to interact, is what I think when I transitioned to tech focus uh, really helped me and made me feel comfortable. And actually a lot of mentors that I've had have been males, have been older, have been of different races. Uh, so I really appreciate um, all the experience that they've given me. That's beautiful, I love that. Would you say you've ever had a bad job? Yes. <laughs> Did you learn anything useful from it that you've kind of taken into some of the future opportunities you've gotten? Yeah, I think just learning from people, learning their stories, learning their problems. Uh, one of the major things about people who focus on technology uh, careers, there's ones that are, you know, do, do their job, but then ones that are really successful. The ones that are really successful are the ones that can communicate because 
business users need to be able to tell their problem and then you solve it based on what their need is, not, not what you think it should be. So those jobs that have been not as desirable, I've always listened to the people, learned from what their problems were and made myself a beta, better data scientist because I'm more accurately able to solve a problem. I love it. I love it. And, you know, thinking back to the past 10 years, whether personal or whether career focused, what are maybe the biggest changes or the biggest uh, things you've had to be flexible on over the past 10 years? So again, personal or career, what's like the biggest change in your life in the past 10? Yeah, I think one thing that was really interesting was when I was figuring out where I wanted to be in tech and I was career hopping a bit. Uh, I did have someone who was a senior manager or MD. He sat me down and was like, I mentor a lot of kids like you that, you know, you want to continue and go to the next best thing, next best thing. This is a big issue with your generation in general is that you're not willing to just stay in your, your lane for now and learn and become better. You just want things right now. Life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And I think settling that information in my head and trying to say, okay, you know what? The side hustle hasn't grown. I haven't as much as where I'm like a, a major like YouTube player. That's okay. I could still make an impact with others. Uh, with my career, maybe I'm not um, a senior leader CEO at this point, but that's okay. So I think that's been my biggest pivot is the mindset of realizing I can't want everything now. I need to pace myself. And ultimately that's what will separate me um, from, I guess, the rest. I love it. I love it. You're sitting down in an interview on your last day on earth. You're 110 years old. You've, you've experienced everything beautiful about life. You've been able to you know, have grow a family, been able to grow in real estate, been able to build generational wealth, but you're in an interview and you're being interviewed by your great, great grandchildren. And this is the last thing they'll remember of you. All the books you've written, all the articles you've written, all the YouTube videos you've made will have to go with you onto the next life of whatever happens after here. And they ask you, great, great grandma, what's one piece of advice on how to live a good life? What are you going to tell them? question. I think it would be always like recognizing who's there for you and always doing right by people. Um, so I've been able, thank you for giving me the platform to talk about some of my successes throughout my career, my life, but end of day, if I didn't have a support system of family, friends, uh, loving significant other, I wouldn't be in the position that I am today because it wouldn't give me the confidence to pursue what I'm able to do. So end of day, the people around you really mean a lot and you have to give them attention. I love it. I love it. I love it. Florida or Jersey, why? And then with that, we'll uh, wrap up the, the episode and I would love for you to share where people can find you or plug anything else you'd like to plug, but Florida or Jersey and why? Florida, number one, freedom. <laughs> Freedom to work from home, freedom to go to the beach, um, freedom to walk around with people who are of different backgrounds, different cultures. And yeah, I just completely enjoy. I've been here for two and a half years. Can't see myself leaving anytime soon, but I still do respect New Jersey. For, so for any of Jersey people out there, um, I'll be waiting until you come to Florida. 
to see you. And, <laughs> and, and they'll be waiting for you to come when there's hurricanes. That's what they were yeah. going to say back. That was, that was going to be their rebuttal. I already know. <laughs> <laughs> and where people could find me. So um, by channels, analytics, Ariel, I mostly post on YouTube, but I'm also on other platforms. If you want to learn Python, say from scratch or real estate, you can also check out some of my courses, which are linked in analyticsarial.com. And if you just wanted to reach out one-on-one -on -one for networking, I'm available for that as well. You can reach out to me at Ariel Herrera, analyticsarial.com. I love it. And ladies and gentlemen, if any of y'all have a million dollars just sitting around right now, I feel like feel like Ariel could probably help you put it in the right place and y'all could grow in real estate together. So instead of a, instead of her having to come reach out to you because it's uncomfortable, y'all should come to her with the break. <laughs> with that being said, this is the Voices of Value podcast, your host, C-I-W-Z-Y, a.k.a. my real name, Collis. Make sure y'all have a blessed day. Leave a five-star review. Share with a friend as that is the only way we can grow. And with that, I'm going to say salute.